Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, a podcast dedicated to educating the Latino community about entrepreneurship, investing, and business. Yo, what's going on, Latin Wealth family? Welcome to another episode to the Latin Wealth Podcast. And we're back at the studio today, very excited about this episode and for our guest today. Before we introduce her, I need you guys to do me a huge favor for this episode because it's going to be an amazing episode. Share this episode with three other people that you feel like needs to be tapped into the Latin Wealth platform. Go ahead and hit those three dots, hit the share button, text this to somebody, send it in a a Facebook group or Instagram, whatever you got to do, share this episode with three people. I'm telling you, it's going to be a game changer. Uh, With that out the way, I want to introduce my guest for today. She is a founder in Luz We Trust, which is a platform helping you heal money wounds and toxic money mentalities and and really empowering you to step into the wealth that you deserve. She's also the author of Wealth Warriors, Eight Steps for Communities of Color to Conquer the Stock stock Market. And, you know, we got the book right here and we're definitely going to dive into the book. It's a phenomenal book so far. Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, Linda Garcia. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Chris. Thank you so much for opening your space and having me on your platform today. I yeah, appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. And, you know, before we get into your story in the book and, you know, stock market and all that, um, I know you're you're a big hip hop fan, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so I, I got to ask, like, who are some of your favorite artists or, you know, who are your go to artists? You know, they can be older, younger, whoever. I'm curious. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, I grew, I was born in 1980, so I was living in California, you know, the era of, of nineties rap in uh, California, but I was always like so mesmerized by the East coast. You know what I mean? Like for me, it's definitely Biggie over Tupac, my bad. Okay. Okay. Um, But (laughs) so, yeah, I mean, I just love music Mm -hmm. in general overall, like Mm -hmm. for me to pick a favorite I mean, my go-to, you know, as of like, you know, recently, I'm when I say recently, I mean like five years right, right. or so, is always Nipsey Hussle. Mm. I think because he's just so yeah. present with money and building wealth and okay. like what he was talking about, you know, um, and like just what he was on in the way where he was really talking about investing just really moved me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's who I'm gonna that's who I'm yeah. gonna pick today. <laughs> no, no, I, I love that. You know, um, because Nip is my favorite uh, artist of all time. Like, oh nice, yeah, for okay, real. Okay. You know, people have their their top five, their top ten. I don't usually hear Nip in there, which you know everybody got their own opinion, but he's always in my top five with yeah. like Pac, you know, um, Jay Z, Kendrick Lamar, but. Big fan of Nip, you know, definitely has a, a huge impact on my life and, you know, yeah. the way I think as well. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So I love to love to jump into it. Love to jump into your story. Um, love to jump. You you mentioned before we, we hit record that you grew up in Orange County. Would love for you to give the audience a little bit uh, about your upbringing and, you know, walk us through the journey of you becoming an entrepreneur and, you know, an investor. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I grew up in Orange County in a small town called San Juan Capistrano. Um, and Orange County is very, it's its almost, it gives me Dallas vibes, to be honest, you know, in terms of like, 
um, politics and mostly white folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but we lived in a small concentrated neighborhood where we had a strong presence of Latinos mm-hmm. in that neighborhood. There was a very clear divide in terms of where the wealthy folks in San Juan lived and then like, you know, the working class. Um And I grew up with a mom that cleaned houses. She babysat. She sold tacos. She worked at a fabrica, a graveyard shift. My dad worked, uh, you know, washing dishes. Uh, He worked at Carl's Jr. Mm. He worked at restaurants. He was a waiter and then just kind of like moved Mm. his way up. But that was the type of service that he worked in. Um, So, yeah, I grew up in a pretty traditional family of immigrants, watching them just work extremely hard. Mm. My mom was like, uh, my mom was like a genius with money, you know, Mm. for someone that was cleaning houses um, and for her to be able to purchase a home in the 80s. I feel like it was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, just recently getting like her immigrant status situated and right away, like she was very um, money savvy. She mm-hmm. understood real estate really quickly. Very intelligent woman. She's like the original wealth warrior. And just mm-hmm. like watching us go from, you know, my mom having $7 for the entire month to to feed the family and make sure that we had shelter over our head to just like watching her explode in this space of Mm. just grinding, but understanding the way money works. So she really impacted me in the way of just by osmosis, really just watching her. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's pretty much my early upbringing. I was, I got into gangs um, and then I got- How did, not to cut you off, I'm I'm curious. uh, I mean, obviously I started reading the book um how did watching your parents work multiple jobs how did that affect you like what you know how did that affect your mentality you know it seemed like your parents weren't home very often you know what did that do for you at a young age i think it made me understand that nobody's coming Mm. you know like nobody's coming nobody's coming home to feed you nobody's coming home to ask you if you need help with homework Nobody's coming. And so early on, I grasped that if I wanted to do anything, I was going to have to figure it out and do it for myself. So there was independence there. Like I was a latchkey kid since preschool and I just knew how to maneuver my my living space. Mm. You know, for example, like not opening the door when people knocked. And it's crazy because I'm 43 years old right now. And to this day, when someone knocks on the door, mm. I can't help but to like mm-hmm. freak out. Like someone's going to get me. I'm in trouble. Mm. Who is it? I, always. And I'm like, dang, I yeah, need to like that's work crazy. on that, you know? That's crazy. But yeah, I mean, so it definitely impacted me for sure and molded me in terms of like no one's coming. I got to figure the, these things out for myself. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you, I think you just said that you got into gangs. when. Okay. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about that. Yeah, so I was picked on early on because I was told that I talked like a white girl. Mm. So the and and the reason I had a different dialect from the neighborhood I grew up in is because before we moved to San Juan, we lived in a town called Laguna Niguel and it was mostly white people. And we lived in a, like section 8, but it was mostly white people. 
Um, and when we finally moved to where there was people of color, like that was always the thing is I was constantly getting picked on for talking like a white girl. And because I talked like a white girl, I was told that I thought I was better then. Mm. So I was, I mean, bullied is an understatement. Like mm. what they would do, like they would, they broke my mom's front window of her home with a two by four. The phone was constantly ringing. We would just leave it off the hook. Um, it was just constant, I mean, constant bullying. I was constantly fighting. And I was all, I was allured by music. I mean, listening to Yoan TV raps in mm -hmm. my room, but I wouldn't project that style. It was just like, you know, I was just like wearing pink yeah. and girly things. Right, but right. in my room, I was like, you know, yeah. rapping every single song. Right. And um, I just finally thought, like, if I'm going to defend myself, I need to, like, be more of this, you know? So I was just literally trying to protect myself from my bullies and trying to be tough and pretend to be somebody that I really, truly, at the core, wasn't. Mm. Um, and then it just took over. Mm -hmm. Then it, it just became who I, who I was. Wow. So do you feel like, part of maybe joining a gang is it, is it because your parents were around because i hear that a lot like when your family isn't around a lot of people they look for a different family it's typically the gangs that embrace them was that kind of your scenario a one thousand percent you're looking for protection yeah. you're looking for camaraderie you're looking for someone to show up mm. someone to be there and you know it's not the right it's close mm. but no it's mm -hmm. not. It's yeah. not what you're really looking for. Absolutely. So, you uh, walk us through. This is like maybe high school. Um, talk to us about like you graduating high school. How did you remove yourself from this situation and like get your your mind onto um, becoming a wealth warrior? Right. Yeah. So it actually started in middle school. Gotcha. Um, I got pregnant at 13 years old. By this time, by 13, I wasn't living with my parents. I was living with an aunt, and when I became pregnant, um, my dad was like, okay, well, if you don't, like, not be pregnant, if we don't go to the doctor and take care of this, then you're not going to have my last name. Like, that's it. Mm. Like, nothing. And it kind of felt like, I don't even have you right now. Like, I'm living at my aunt's house. Like, what are you even talking about? Mm. And f for me, uh, internally, that decision to not be, mm -hmm. not give birth was not the right decision for me. Like for me in my core, I knew that I was in big trouble. I knew that my life was going to be extremely challenging, but I knew that for me, that was not the right choice, that I needed to move forward with like the decisions that I had made that led me to that point. And I also had this sense of like, I don't know who this human being is inside of me and what they are going to become, but I had this like intuitive feeling that they were important mm. and that they needed to do something in this lifetime. Mm. And so wow. I, I moved forward with that and I never lived with my parents. I mean, I didn't live with them prior to that anyways, but I never went back to them. Mm -hmm. I really went down a path of extreme darkness, like not gangs anymore because I knew like I need to get my head right. And it's not only me caring for me, it's me caring for another human being. But I lived with a lot of trauma that I was experiencing, a different kind of trauma, 
that was the darkest trauma I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and through school, that was my outlet. Mm. Like my teachers for me were my saviors. Like my teachers saw potential in me. I don't know what they saw because I was a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> That's a blessing though. Oh, it was the biggest blessing. Like I ended up living with one of my high school teachers. As a matter of wow. fact, this specific high school teacher taught me at 16 years old how to write a 30-page marketing plan, mm. um, very close to a business plan. And at 16 years old, I started competing across the United States with my marketing plan, and I started to win awards. And on one of our trips, she took me to New York with a, a group of students and I, it was like a five-day trip, and I had 20 bucks to my name. And I was I didn't know how I was going to eat. There were a couple meals that were comped, so I'm like, okay, that's good. But all I have is 20 bucks. I, like, I had no business being there, basically, is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And um, we had this day where she's like, okay, we're going to separate you guys in two groups. One group is going to go ring the bell at the stock market. And the other group is going to go see Sally, Jesse, Raphael live taping. So I'm like, oh, I want to go to <laughs> Sally, Jesse, yeah. Raphael, you know, super excited. And then I get chosen for the stock market. And I'm like, oh, what a bust. Like, what is this place even? Like, mm -hmm. I didn't get it, you know. That's crazy. It's wild. It is wild. So, you know, we're walking into this. It was like a sneak peek until like what's coming in the future. For sure. 1,000%. Like, looking back at, at that, it's like, whoa, life is Trip. incredible, Yeah, you know? And uh, I remember walking in and seeing, like, all of these men yelling and the hype. And, like, I remember having this moment where, like, where are the women? Mm. And I also remember having this feeling of, I don't know what happens here, but whatever it is, I know that it impacts the world. It's not isolated to this building. It's not isolated to the city. It's not isolated to this country. It impacts the world. And that was that. Mm -hmm. But the, you can see already there that there was like ambition where I, I was ready to take on, like put a challenge in front mm -hmm. of me. Mm -hmm. Make me a mom, yeah. let's go. Yeah. You know, like I don't have my parents, let's go. I don't have money, let's go. So that's kind of like the way it was, and I was determined to be wealthy, mm -hmm. determined, and I was determined to be quote unquote successful, whatever that meant something different to me back then. Like I would tell myself one day I'm going to be like vice president of a company. I would tell my daughter that all the time. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You good. You good. No, I appreciate you being vulnerable and just sharing your story. And, um, you know, from now to, to the book, you know, it, it means a lot. You know what I'm saying? And it's it doesn't go unnoticed. You know what I'm saying? And what I'm hearing from your story is the power of one, right? The power of one person can now, it can't be undermined, like what one person can do, right? The power of one person believing in you. Sometimes that's all you need, right? The power of, you know, just that one conversation that can take, that can change your life, that can shift you, that one trip that shifted your mindset. You know, I think sometimes we undermine that that one thing that can just shift our life, and it it could literally be anywhere, right? You didn't 
you going on this trip, you felt like you had no business being there and you wanted to go to this play and you show up to the, you know, the stock market and you experience that, right? And that changed your perspective. And now it seemed like it, it lit a fire under you, right? For um, sure. Yeah. So I, I just always go back to to the power of one, you know, not to ever undermine that and under and understand that it could it could greatly change your life, right? Yeah, definitely. And I I think I really understood that mm -hmm. from my teachers, from just the impact of moments in my life that I thought to myself, like these chain of events that feel so dark and so heavy, mm -hmm. I really hope that I am able to garner enough wisdom mm -hmm. and enough knowledge to potentially say a couple of things to someone else mm -hmm. and just shift their mind as well. And so for me, I think like that's what the book is. Mm -hmm. and that's my intention for the book is for someone to read it and maybe look at something a little different from mm -hmm. a different perspective. Absolutely. Um, now I love that. So I'm, I'm curious, where do you want to go? Do you want to jump into the book? You want to continue with your journey? Yeah. I mean, wh whatever no, you think. Oh, yeah, is, so I'm yeah. like, um, so you got this fire in you, you got your daughter. Um, I, I know it. I know kind of your story because reading the book and whatnot, but walk us through what's next. I know there was a, you had inspirations and, and motivations to be in Hollywood. Like you wanted yeah. to be in that industry. So walk us through like your journey with that and you know, how you got your foot in the door. Yeah. So it, I had started when I, I lived here in Dallas, I've been moving back and forth from California to Texas my entire life. Mm -hmm. And so there was a block. This is where I actually, this is where I got pregnant. Mm-hmm during yeah. this block, this transition, leaving California and coming to Texas. Um, and so I went to middle school out here. I went to high school. I went to college. And as, after college, I really wanted to work in marketing mm -hmm. like because of high school. And I wanted to create content. I mean, it wasn't that back then. I wanted to make commercials. And that's what I was doing. I was writing, producing, and directing local television commercials. And I was also on-air talent. I was like a host of one show that was like top 10 plays for the Dallas Mavericks. Mm. So I was doing on-air talent material, what really wasn't paying a lot, nothing, if any. Um, and I worked for a local television station here. And then I just put my eyes on Hollywood where I was like, I want, I don't want 30 seconds locally. Like I want, a, I want to work on a movie. Mm -hmm. And so I went out there with that intention and I ended up working at Lionsgate Films. Uh, they had launched a Latino movie network at the time, a uh, movie distrib distribution that's called Pantelion Films. And so they distributed a, they, they still distribute films. And I started working there as like the launch team. I worked in marketing and I worked in publicity and I began like traveling with like Will Ferrell and mm. Gael Garcia and Diego Luna and doing some really cool things. But during that time, I was broke. Like it was wild to me how I was flying with Will Ferrell for two weeks, three weeks, however long the, the publicity run was for the film. But I couldn't pay my like I couldn't pay my bills. I was living paycheck to paycheck. And I and I started to really contemplate like something isn't right. Some something is off where I can 
create all of these things for myself. But when it comes to the money portion of my life, like why is that not reflecting, Mm -hmm. you know, my hard work or the space that I'm in? And I started to really pay attention to that and be conscious. Like that was one thing about me as well since I've been young is I, I really like tried to learn and listen and look for answers. And I started to understand that a big part of it was that I didn't know how to value myself as a person. So if I don't know how to value myself as a person, how do I expect you to value mm-hmm. me as a boss or you know, if I'm just doing anything I can for free or for whatever, like how am I going to be valued then? Do you feel like, I love that you said that you didn't know how to value yourself. Do you feel like it was only by being paid or you feel like it was also maybe the self-talk that you would have with yourself? I I think it was, I think the pay is a reflection of the self-talk. So I think the pay is just the manifestation of what's going on in your head. That's big. That's big. So I was, you know, not being as loving to myself as Mm -hmm. I could have been and not valuing myself as I could have. I was deep in my pain of not having my parents, of Mm -hmm. the drama that was happening. Why me? Yeah. Oh, this is this is because of my circumstances. This is because I'm, you know, a Latina. Mm-hmm. Like I was just blaming everything that was external instead of really tapping into my personal power and understanding that those things outside of me don't matter unless I make them matter. If mm-hmm. I make them matter, then they matter. Mm-hmm. But if I make something else matter, like my intelligence, my bravery, um, my curiosity, my imagination, like if I make those things matter, then that's what becomes mm-hmm. my, that's what my external world becomes. And, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I love that. Um, have you read Winning the War in Your Mind? No. Okay. So uh, as I'm reading your book, uh, and we can, we can start stepping into your book, you know, um, I'm just going to jump straight to it. You talk about four misconceptions that um we we have in you know when thinking about money our mindset towards money and i'm going to bring up just one um and the first one is or one of them is is i'm not good with money right Mm -hmm. and so in the book you essentially replace that with a truth and the truth is i am more than capable of understanding money the reason why i wanted to bring that up is because um in that book and even with me going to therapy something that it was was really big from the book and therapy is my therapist always challenges me to replace the lies with the truth. Mm -hmm. So I love in the beginning of the book, you're doing that. You're saying like the lie is I'm not good with money. Like, what was me? I can't do it. I'm this, I'm that. But the truth is I am more than capable of understanding money. And I think in life, um, even with dealing with mental health, people out there dealing with it, we definitely have to look at the lies in our life, the lies that we tell ourselves, and replace it with the truth. And nine times out of 10, those lies are not even true. They're far from the truth, right? And you're yeah. able to fix those. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I wanted to, to bring that up. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think it's important for us to continuously do that. Mm-hmm. Because if you live from the thought of, I'm not good with money, then that's 
that's going to be, there's no way around that. Mm -hmm. Then yeah, that's your truth. Mm -hmm. If that's what you believe, it may not be a core truth, Mm -hmm. right? But if that's what you believe and you want to make that your truth, then of course that's what's going to come from it. Mm -hmm. But if you really start to focus on, of course you have the capability to understand it. Is Mm -hmm. it going to, are you going to understand it overnight? Mm -hmm. No. Is it going to require some work, maybe a little discipline to give it attention? Absolutely. But you're more than capable of doing that. A hundred percent. So Wealth Warrior, the book, um, I'm curious what was your motivation to write a book? Like, what was the driving factor? And by the way, this this book was published on April 11th. Yeah. That's my birthday. Nice. <laughs> I just nice. had to throw that in there. That's dope. My yeah. birthday's April 8th. My okay. son's is April 12th. That's my mom's birthday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I always tell this story like, you know, uh, my, my mom had me and the next day she turned, what was it, 19, 18 years old. So, yeah, yeah that's dope. So what was your motivation to writing a book? So I have wanted to write a book for a really long time. I think when I first identified that I really wanted to write a book was after reading The Alchemist by Paolo Mm, Coelho. Love that book. Love that book. So good. Amazing. (laughs) I know. It really shifted my mind and I was mind blown by what we talked about earlier, like yeah. that a book, like I was accustomed to to people coming and, you know, uh, like working their magic on me, right? Like saying something and me being able mm-hmm. to see something from a different perspective, but a book mm-hmm. and the way it shifted me. So I, I, I really knew right then and there I wanted to become a writer. And as a matter of fact, my Instagram name, Luz Warrior, is from Paolo, one of Paulo Coelho's books. I ended oh, up yeah, reading, yeah, 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 El yeah. Guerrero de la Luz, mm-hmm. The Warrior of Light. Mm-hmm. I ended up reading every single one of his books. I just, I devoured them. And I knew then that I wanted to write. The interesting thing is I never in a million years signed up to write this book. Mm. Like I, I didn't. What happened is I created a course on the stock market that my community really pushed me to create. And I created it. And the course really started to take off. I mean, in ways that I didn't expect for it to take off. It was, it the course was sold out for months and months in advance because I would do them virtually live. Got it, got it. But I wouldn't take in, I would cap it at 100 because I would leave time for Q&A. Mm-hmm. And if I did more than 100, it would be impossible yeah, to get out of there. Yeah. So um, I had a one of the biggest book agents that represents the Latina community in the United States, the biggest book agent and a publisher. She brought a publisher. They spied on me and they took the class twice. Mm. And then after taking the class twice, they came to me and said, have you ever thought of writing a book? Mm. And I'm like, I have. They're like, well, we think that you have a book. We think this is a book. And I was like, no, <laughs> sorry. Why do you say no? Do you feel like there was some fear there because you didn't want to write it or you feel like the book would have been something else, a different, maybe different topic or? I, I think both. Okay. Like, yes, I never imagined I was going to write a book on the stock market. But also, too, they're asking me to step in an arena where there's all white men, old white men. And like, I'm just barely now having conversations with men like this where i've only seen 
men, white men have conversations. So Mm -hmm. like to get to do this today is an honor, Mm -hmm. you know, and also can be intimidating for me as a woman to step into the space to talk about the stock market. And so for me, it was like, yeah, I'm not qualified to do that. You know, like Mm -hmm. that I I don't belong. There was a lot of imposter syndrome of like, and then fear of what if I mess it up? And what if I write something incorrect and some white man stock market police comes and arrests me? Mm -hmm. No, 100%. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And they made me sit with it. Actually, my agent really just nurtured me through the process and helped me see that it's needed mm-hmm. and that I'm going to be taken care of through the process. Like there's going to be fact checkers, you know, I'm not going to be left alone. Like we got this, we mm-hmm. can do this. Absolutely. And, and then we just went to work on the book. Wow. So how was that process? Talk to me about that process there's the the physical book there's the audio book talk to me about that process um was it was it enjoyable was it like oh were you like getting your footing now like okay this is dope i can do this or how are you feeling in the process yeah so it's funny because you know the engineer here on your podcast is the same engineer that worked on my audio book and i'm sure he can tell you what parts (laughs) of the book was easy for me to write and what parts of the book was hard and what parts of the book were motivating. So the parts, what's really interesting about this book that is eight steps for communities of color to conquer the stock market is that my life is interwoven throughout the entire book. So you're listening to my highs and my lows and all of my stuff. And writing that part of the book was very emotional you know, it took a toll on me. I'm like, okay, when this is done, like, that's it. I'm Mm -hmm. putting this part of me to rest, you Mm know? Um, And then there's parts where I'm talking about taxes and And that part was like, oh, (laughs) it took everything to pull it out of me. I mean, it was tough. I had my tax my accountant work with me on that part of the book and so many times i was like i want to take this chapter out and my editor was like no this is a good chapter it's an important chapter it's gonna get their feet wet and we gotta give them this first and then no i love it just not to cut you off but you're like uh definitely getting the feet wet in there you're giving us a breakdown and then you're like for more information you gotta do your own (laughs) (laughs) do your own research for more yeah exactly exactly i love it yeah and so but the part where we do where we talk about the stocks like that's Mm -hmm. my jam like we were coasting through that i was like i was like i had it already most Mm -hmm. of it written anyways like i had most of it in my course i had most of it just everywhere in all parts of my life so it really wasn't even writing that part it was just gathering it all and compiling it and putting it together so mm-hmm. i have like my editors editing it making sure that it's clean and it's cohesive mm-hmm. but that part like I, yo i don't know what it is but i love the stock market mm-hmm. like genuinely mm-hmm. like it hypes me up like mm-hmm. i wake up every morning and that's my thing and it trips me out. You know what I Where mean? Where did that come from? Uh, obviously, like, it, it helps that you're making money from it. Yeah, right? of course. But what, of course. what else? Like, what makes you feel so energetic about that? I think it feels like 
I am an explorer, mm. like straight up. Like I feel like the vision I get when you ask me that question is like I'm exploring this space that is unexplored by someone with my perspective. Mm, that's what it is right there. Yeah. That's what it is. I was just going to say, um, I heard somebody say like, you know, there's content creators out there. There's people that want to be content creators that want to be entrepreneurs, but they don't see themselves in that space. Right. And the, the young lady I was talking to, she was like, you have to picture yourself filling that void. Yeah. Right. So like you, like your team was saying, it's very important that you make this book because we need somebody from your perspective that's been through what you've been through, have your own experiences to, to fill this void and fill this gap, right? It's needed. Yeah. Um, even me, I've read a lot of different books and whatnot we were talking about before we, we hit record and like, this feels relatable to me. Um, like, I understand it, right? I can yeah. just drive and play it and it, it feels like I want to hear more, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I... Yeah, I'm passionate about it. Mm -hmm. It definitely feels like my life's work. Like, it hypes me up. I mean, I will, like, you know, last Saturday, uh, Warren Buffett had his investor yeah. annual shareholders meeting. And, like, it's yeah. like, that's cozy up on the couch. Let's do this. Yeah. You know, like, I just genuinely, like, I love it. Yeah. And, I don't know. I do stop and I let my imagination and my excitement run wild with it. Like, yo, what am I going to be doing with this information? Like five, 10 years. Like, am I going to be having an annual shareholders meeting? Like a viejita mm -hmm. up there, like telling people, this is yeah, what I yeah, think yeah. you need to invest in. Like, you know, and people quoting me. Like, I I let myself run wild 100%. like that, you know? I think you have to. Yeah. Let yourself do that for sure. Um, I was just going to say, you said you feel like this is your life works. Yeah. I mean, you probably have another 30, 40 years, you know, 50 years to go. <laughs> That's what it, hypes me up, yeah. especially like watching all these old men. Mm -hmm. I, like, I get it. Mm -hmm. Like, I look at them and I'm like, I get it. Mm -hmm. I get why, why you're, wh why it lights you up. Like, I, I'm guessing it's the same reason it lights me up. I don't know, but mm -hmm. I, I get it. And I think to myself, like, that. that's what I'm saying. Like, I just think... Where am I, what am I going to be doing with this information? And because every year I learn something new, mm -hmm. every day I'm learning something new. I always say I'm a student of the stock market to the day I die. There's mm -hmm. nothing I've mastered. I'm not a guru. I'm not an expert. I'm none of those things. I am 10 years into my journey of learning. And when I take my last breath, that's when I've mastered it. Mm. That's powerful. Something else that's powerful and a part that I love from the book is the quote from early on. It said, money wounds are mental and emotional barriers that limit our rights to feeling deserving of stability and wealth. Talk to us mm -hmm. about that. Where did that quote come from? Yeah, you know, I think it's really important for us to understand that as communities of color, we too can be wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so many times I met with a lot of resistance. First, it was my own resistance to, towards wealth or feeling deserving of wealth. And then I met with, I can see it in our community. And so it's really important for me to embody that message. And not that I, again, not that I've mastered it because 
that message, what you just read, that's a journey. Like I have, I accomplish bigger things and I have to remind myself that I'm deserving of this, that it is okay. I am mm-hmm. walking in uncharted territory in my space and it's time for us as communities of color to become the distributors of money. Like mm. I know you've seen those charts of where we are the in bottom. terms at the very bottom. And that is not going to change until we have more folks like yourself and myself that are educating everyone on what we've learned so far. Like that's all there is to it. And and it doesn't matter how much financial literacy someone takes in if they don't fully understand that they're deserving. Mm. All the work we're doing on whatever our passion is uh, on investing or making money goes out the window if you can't understand that you're deserving. Mm. Mm. Love that. Um, you know, I'm curious. You know, you said it, it's it's kind of time for our community to step up, right? Why don't you feel like more people in our community have that drive to be successful? Do you think it's it goes back to that self belief that they don't deserve it, that they're not good enough, right? Because the information is there, the books are here, the people are coming out, and we're we're here trying to make the, the strive, but it feels like there's not enough of us just yet. I definitely feel like we're at the forefront for sure, especially in like the Latina community. Like it definitely feels that way for sure. Um, The generation before us that did make wealth, they stood by the don't talk about the money you're making. Don't talk about the moves you're making. So we never got to see the people that were actually making any money moves. Like we never got to see them. Right. So we had like like my parents, that's what I got to see for the most part, not just in my own neighborhoods on what we did for work, but also on television and in movies. That's mm-hmm. the way we've always been portrayed. So I think that our our um, lack or our inability to move towards that direction more aggressively is just because we haven't seen it yet. We don't know that that's even available for mm-hmm. us. I don't think it's that we don't want to. I think at the core, we've never seen it, so we don't believe it can happen. Mm. Mm. No, that's powerful. I love that. I mean, that is one of the reasons why like, I love to have people on like yourself on here to share your story so people can say, like, yo, I'm from where she's from. I've had the same story as her. If she can do it, mm-hmm. I can do it, right? For sure. We're, we're, we make great food. We make great music. We can dance. We can act. We can do all these things. But we can also be entrepreneurs, investors, and business owners as well. I had a young lady on last week, and her thing was like, we need more people that um, want to be like angel investors, right? That yeah. that want to distribute the money and help people, right? We need to normalize that in our, our communities and our conversation as well. Absolutely. I agree with her 100%. You're going to have to introduce me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely will. Uh, yeah. She lives out here, so definitely will do that. Um, shifting gears a little bit, you know, I'm curious about, I mean, the book just came out, so this is probably some exciting time for you and whatnot, but what has been a recent failure that you had and how did you overcome it? Sheesh. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, I recently had to lay off Mm -hmm. 
my team. Mm. Yeah, that, uh, and it definitely feels like a failure. Um, obviously, I do a lot of thought work. So I understand that this is, I could look at it as a failure, but this is also, now I could also look at it as you're, you finally an, you're finally an entrepreneur. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're a real you're CEO now. Right, you're there. <laughs> you're really doing the hard things. Um, because that was something that I should have done all the way back in September and I knew it, but I was making my team's circumstances, my personal circumstances. Mm, wow. And so I, when it came time to like, I just did this three weeks ago, so mm. it's fresh. Um, I really had to look at what the summer was going to look like. And I'm traveling every single weekend starting in June until, I mean, well into September. And my and I'm traveling for the book. I'm promoting the book across the country. And that means that my focus isn't going to be on bringing in revenue. My focus is is on selling a book. And when you're out there selling a book, it's not like you're getting paid to sell the book. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You're you're not getting paid. Um, and so I I was like, I needed to face the reality of I can either come back from traveling and start hustling mm -hmm. to make payroll, or I could just Mm -hmm. Do what I know I need to do mm -hmm. and 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 focus on the book with ease. And so that, that was so hard yeah. because, like I said, you make your employee circumstances your own circumstances, single moms, you know, the whole thing. And I, yeah, so I just made that decision. And I also, as an entrepreneur, something I want to talk about because I feel like this isn't talked about enough especially as the economy is shrinking and macroeconomics, it's a fact, it's affecting, you know, the revenue that is coming into businesses, right? We're watching it across earnings reports mm -hmm. that are coming in from publicly traded companies, et cetera. I came to the space where I realized, yo, I became an entrepreneur to work for myself, mm. not to work for somebody else. And as revenue is shrinking, I'm finding myself working for someone else again. Like I'm working for my employees so mm. that I can make payroll. Interesting. It was a really clear moment. And I was like, yeah, we're not, I'm not doing that. Obviously, if there's a surplus in revenue, that's less the focus, right? You're not working to make payroll. There's a surplus. So so, you feel like, not to cut you off, you no. feel like you were hustling because you wanted provide for your team members yeah absolutely like i felt responsible you mm. know you see your team members family like I, I had i mean w2 employees so like i'm paying taxes on them like the whole nine there's a salary and you look at your at, at your employee and i think it's human nature for us to also look at their living situation whatever that is whatever their life looks like and you're like, dang, that's on my shoulders too. So it's not just your own family and your own household. You have other households that are mm -hmm. depending on you as well. So that started to really weigh heavy when revenue started coming down. And and revenue in part started coming down because I have to focus on the book. Mm -hmm. You know, I th that's my life's work that we're working on pushing out. And while the work that I'm doing right now could potentially pay out later, it's not paying out right now. For sure. 
No, I love that you still have that sympathy for your team members because you said that's like the the human in us. But let's be honest, a lot of these companies there they don't they don't care. Yeah, you know they just laying people off by the hundreds, the masses, and you just got to figure it out. You know, yeah. some of these companies are not offering severance packages or anything. Um, they're just left to to figure it out. You know, they don't yeah. care. Yeah. So I, I think you know that's dope to see that you do care. Yeah. You know that's big. Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Um, thank you for sharing that. We can switch gears a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm curious if we can jump into present today and talk about maybe some investing strategies. You know, I'm saying for some listeners out there, obviously, if you want to dive deep into some of the strategies and in, in your um, processes, grab the book. I highly suggest it. But um, could we jump into a couple yeah. things today? You know, I know the market is looking really crazy, looking uncertain. Yeah. You talk to us, calm us down a little yeah. bit out there. You know, yeah. the people that are, are feeling uncertain, that are feeling uneasy about what's going on. Do they, people are feeling like, yo, should I even be investing my money right now? Like, wh- what are your thoughts? Talk to the people out there. Yeah. So the first thing I want you to know is right now there are very wealthy white folks that are like, heck yeah, this is mm. the time. They're licking their chops. They are excited. They understand that this is the time when millionaires are made. This is, this is the, this is like, <laughs> this is one of the most important times. We only get, you know, three, maybe four of these experiences in our lifetime uh, as adults mm-hmm. where we can actually make decisions, not as children. Uh, So this is a really important time. But before I get into that, I want us to be really clear about the stock market because I think this detail is so important in that direct shareholders, meaning someone that actually owns a share of a stock, there are only 15% of Americans in the United States that do that. 15%. 15% of Americans are direct shareholders. That's that's American. We're not even talking Latinos. Well, no, let's just say, yeah, overall. Okay. Everyone. Yeah, everyone. Everyone. Everyone, which makes it even That's great. what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, so everyone out of all of the Americans living in the United States participating in the stock market, only 15% are participating. This isn't, I have a 401k and I have stock exposure or I have a mutual fund. That is not the same as being a direct shareholder. Those two things are completely different. So the work that I do focuses on 100% being a shareholder. I think it's great to have a 401k. I think it's great to have exposure. I think it's great to have mutual funds. I think it's great to have that exposure. But I think it's even more important to become a direct shareholder. So 15% of Americans. Out of those 15%, 89% of them are white folks. Mm. 1% is black mm. and 0.5% is Latine. Wow. Okay. So then 90% of all shares are owned by the top 10 wealthiest people in this country. Wow. So our participation is minimal. And now I want you to look at it this way. 
there's three ways to make, to create generational wealth in this lifetime. It's not by working. It's by investing. You either invest in the stock market, you invest in real estate, or you become an entrepreneur that knows how to scale and comes up with a bomb product or service and you can make, you know, millions, mm. right? So it's one of those three paths or you have exposure to all three. That is how you build generational wealth in this family. This is why I'm so passionate about getting that point five percent number up. Why I'm why I feel the book is so important because we need exposure. Here's the thing. We are we spend trillions as consumers. We're high consumers. We are amazing when it comes to consumerism. Yeah. We kick butt in the beauty industry, in the technology industry. We are recognized for high consumers, but we are not shareholders. Mm. And so I really want you to understand that while you're purchasing all of our, your tech gadgets and all of everything that you purchase, anything that you consume in, you can also be part ownership. So I, I say that to lessen the fear in that you should be more fearful about being a consumer and not being an owner mm. than being an owner and not being a consumer. Yeah. And how do you become a shareholder? Yeah. So break it down for yeah, the people. Yeah, of course. Yes. So the first thing you have to do is open a brokerage account. And you can do that the, as soon as you have a social security card. So on your birthday, the day you were born, you got social security number, you can open a brokerage account. You can open one for your children. If you have an ITIN number, if you're a DACA recipient, you can also participate in the stock market and open a brokerage account. So typically what I like to suggest is open a brokerage account if you have a 401k or you have mutual funds, you have like investments via your job, go to that broker, go to that company because nine times out of 10, they're going to be a reputable company, which is who you want to open a brokerage account with. You don't want to go with a person that just started their brokerage account online. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan and I'll say this, I've said it, my audience knows it. I'm not a fan of Robinhood the application has failed multiple times. There's a lot of issues with it. When mm -hmm. it gets bombarded, it shuts down. No one has access to their stuff. You don't want to be at a bank that doesn't have that. access to your yeah. stuff. So you open your brokerage account. And I want you to look at the process in a very simple way. A lot of the times people get overwhelmed with choosing a company to invest in because they think they have to find a needle in a haystack. Mm. And that's not the case. First of all, you don't want to try to find a company that no one knows about because the way the stock market moves and the way a company becomes more valuable is because everybody's using it. Where are you shopping? Are you at Costco? Are you at Target? Are you at Walmart? What is your the technology you have? What gadgets do, does, do you depend on? Where are you streaming your content? All of those things is what I want you to pay attention to. Mm. And to me, that's the place to start um, in terms of what to invest in. I think we overcomplicate it yeah. and rightfully so. Like we don't know the language. We don't under and and not to mention that not that long ago it wasn't accessible to mm. us. 
You know, it, it wasn't. Now, before, you had to have an actual um, broker, like you had to have a person that yeah. could buy the shares for you. That's no longer the case. Now it's online. You do it for yourself. There's no fees. Double check that. Do your homework. But tradi- typically, there's no quote unquote fees that you can see. Um, and it used to cost like 20 bucks, I think, to purchase one share. So that mm. was the cost that you paid. You don't pay that cost and you don't pay that price anymore. So the steps are really simple. You need to open a brokerage account. You need to figure out what companies you understand from a consumer's perspective, because that's going to be easier for you to then become owner of. And um, you get the Wealth Warrior Eight Steps for Communities of Color that literally holds your hand through Mm -hmm. the process and helps you make decisions that are right for you and your family. No, I love that. I love that you ask questions, right? What am I consuming? What do I depend on? Because I can already see a lot of times, and we probably have done it ourselves, like, oh, we got to find that one stock that's going to, um 100x right so we become rich but um you know i guess the, the safer thing to do is just look around to see what are you using right yeah. so do, would you suggest for people to invest long term cuz i know you can do options and whatnot and whatnot which is a whole other conversation but you, you are you like quality long term like what is your uh, philosophy on that yeah well first of all i love options i've gotten (laughs) some trouble with some (laughs) options and i've also made a lot of money with options but i am 100 percent long term i like i really pick up on warren buffett's philosophy in terms of long term Mm -hmm. i don't agree with being a value investor so there's two types of investors out there for our listeners there's a value investor and there's an investor that focuses more on disruption versus value a value investor looks for a cheap stock Um, someone that is focused on disruption is questioning why is it cheap Mm. (laughs) Um, so i want to make sure that whatever i'm investing in is going to is either disrupting the market already and is going to be here for the long term. So my perspective on that is a bit more aggressive, um, which I don't recommend. And I talk about this in the book. I don't recommend that you not be aggressive. I don't recommend that you do what I do just because I'm doing it. I recommend that you identify who your inner investor is, and I recommend that you start off slow. But for me personally, I really like to invest in technology. It's where I started 10 years ago, um, getting to work at Netflix and working in a tech company really, I think, molded me as an Mm -hmm. investor where I'm looking for disruption and I'm looking for the long term. So, you know, I say I'm different than Warren Buffett, but like the the businesses he chose were probably more like disruptive companies when he was younger. It's just that he's held on to those positions like the coca-cola and Mm -hmm. the mcdonald's and all that um uh, for me it's not those types of companies it's someone that is disrupting like what are we using today basically i love that um currently what are your thoughts about crypto i think that i have so many thoughts about crypto first of all i want to highlight something really important about crypto and the and a reason why we shouldn't be scared right now as investors what happens when the economy is shrinking and there's negative outside of us, 
it forces every single one of us to go inside and figure stuff out. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to really like use our brain power to come up with solutions to problems that we're facing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Facing adversity just brings that out in us. And as a collective with macroeconomics and where the economy is, like we're collectively facing adversity. The last time we faced this type of adversity was in 2008. That's Airbnb was born. Uber was born. Mm, That's big right there. Bitcoin was born. That's what I'm saying. Like, we need to not fear recessions. Like, this is when millionaires are made. And so Bitcoin was born out of a necessity, seeing that the bank system is a complete failure and is not working. And so I think that Bitcoin is going to be an important asset class in the future. I really, truly do believe that. I believe in the transparency of Bitcoin. um, And I believe that it has the power to eventually decentralize our current bank system. But... The issue here right now is that Bitcoin is trading like a stock. So it's more valuable to hold Bitcoin than mm-hmm. it is as what it was intended to be, which is a currency. currency yep. So I think that's one issue because it's not necessarily doing what it sort of intended to do. It's become more valuable than actual currency, right? It's value more valuable to hold it. That's one thing. The other thing is it's not regulated And initially, we saw that as a positive thing, like, oh, it's outside the banking system. It's not regulated. But what started to happen is we started to see fake coins, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the lack of regulation there has shown big problems in the structure of it that I think needs to be fixed. There needs to be a solution and there needs to be semi-regulation, like at least for whoever's putting a coin, a quote unquote coin on the block chain. So I do think it's the future. I think it's an asset class, but I think that it needs to be regulated. And, um, you know, I I don't think for someone that isn't comfortable with investing at all, I don't think it should be a big part of our portfolio. I think that we should have some exposure to it if we can, um, but not too much where we don't understand what's taking place. For me, it's always really important to understand what I'm investing in. Mm. And if I can't fully wrap my head around it or if something feels amiss, then yeah. it's just best to stay away. Worth it, yeah. Um, speaking about like investing, we spoke a lot about mindset throughout this conversation. Um, you just mentioned, you know, something difficult you had to overcome recently. How do you take care of your mental health as an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I think for a really long time, I believed something that I feel everyone else believes. I don't, this could be true for some uh, someone else, but it wasn't for me and I was believing it and it was never true for me. So I'm like, maybe I need to question this, but it was seeking balance mm, as an entrepreneur. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I thought I had to seek and find balance. And I think what I've come to terms with that has really helped my mental health is that instead of seeking balance, I need to be present. Mm, and if i can't be present it's because something is wrong wherever i'm present like something's not aligned with me if i can't be present in a certain space then i'm not in alignment with it so maybe i need to not be in that space Mm. so now instead of finding balance i really try and just be completely present and make sure that it speaks to my soul and i'm in alignment with and i'm in peace 
And I have seen my mental health improve so much. I used to suffer. It's not that I used to, but my anxiety used to be through the roof, um, you know, for multiple reasons. Part of it was entrepreneurship and trying to balance my being a mother and having a household and forcing myself to be in certain places mm -hmm. when I wasn't called to. And now I'm just like, no, this is, this is, I need to be present, you know, mm -hmm. like this is what it is. And so I think alignment for me has really truly helped my, my mental health and also not, you know, identifying when my ego is involved, like identifying, oh, my ego is tied to me having employees right now and working myself to death and not putting myself first. Like this is ego. That's so egoic of me to think that I can be someone else's hero and to take away their power and be like, oh, you can't you mm. can't find the solution for yourself. You mm. can't help. You're helpless. You need me. So, you know, just like monitoring those types of behaviors. Yeah, I love that. We can start wrapping up pretty soon. But another quote that I got from the book that I really liked is it says the word wealthy belongs to us as well. What does that mean to you? It means that I believe in a future where we see our communities having tech startups, mm -hmm. raising capital. Mm -hmm. I see us distributing the capital to those with the startups. I see our businesses going public. I see us distributing wealth. That's what it means. Mm, love that. I love that. Uh, we can start wrapping this conversation up. You know, I really pre appreciate you coming on here, being transparent um, and just sharing your story and whatnot. One question I always ask our guests on the podcast is if who is one person that needs to be a guest on the Latin Wealth podcast? Oh my God. Right not, off the top uh, okay. of my head. I was going to say, you probably have a whole bunch of people. But yeah. No, I got, I got one right away. Yeah. I think you should have Patty Rodriguez. Okay. As a yeah. guest. Yeah. Do, you, do you know who that I, is? I, I think I just followed her on Instagram. So wow. is she out here? No, she's not. Was she in LA? She's in LA. Okay. We'll make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> we'll figure yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Um, is there anything else that you want to, to share with the audience? Anything else? Any last thoughts? Uh, before we head out of here, if not, you know, we can, it's all good. Yeah. I think one last thought is something that I like to really move by. And that is the potential source that I have within, like the potential to tap in with source and move through source, meaning that I can create absolutely anything I want, absolutely anything I want, that I don't have to be dependent on anyone else to feed me that, that I internally, because I am a child of source, because I'm a child of God, I have that power within me and I don't need to seek on someone else to give it to me, but I have the power to not only create it for myself and then distribute it wherever I see fit to be mm. distributed. And I want you to understand that that's not exclusive to me, that that is something that you just have to open your heart to if you haven't already. Mm. Amen, I love that. Where can people find you if they want to um, get the book, if they want to reach out to you or just follow your journey? Where can the people find you? Yeah, we are. I am on Instagram at Loose Warrior, and um, that's my personal Instagram account. I have um, the community account that is in Loose We Trust, 
And that is um, a lot of stock news takes place on that Instagram. And then we're also on TikTok with those two same mm-hmm. handles. Love it. Love it. And you guys know you guys can find us on all platforms at Latin Wealth. Uh, phenomenal episode. Make sure you share this episode with three people, like I said, in the beginning of the show. And it's your boy, Chris. We'll catch you guys next week. Peace.